It's The Bill Murphy Show, featuring the best in the business and people from all walks of life. Available by subscription for free on iTunes and at BillMurphyShow.com. Brought to you by... An underwriting from Millennium Laser Eye Centers, a local partner and national institution worth the trip from anywhere to beautiful Fort Lauderdale, Florida for your LASIK procedure from Dr. Corey Lesnar and his staff. Visit them at HaveLASIK.com. Millennium Laser Eye Centers. You won't believe your eyes. Here's your host, Bill Murphy. You won't believe your ears either. Welcome to a Music Friday in the Bill Murphy Show for this September 9th. 2016. Been reliving some of the great moments of the show um, that you may have missed the first time around, or if you're a newcomer to the show, the Dennis DeYoung interview that we republished a couple of episodes ago was well received. Also, Chris Price, a Miami native guy who uh, is actually in LA now and just recently played with America, I believe last night or the night before. And um, he's the guy who did the full album called Homesick with his iPhone, and we republished that, and it's, it's still as great as it was when we did it when it first came out. This show that we have for you today on This Music Friday is one of the show's proudest moments from April of 2011, and it was inspired by a recent Facebook post that I saw where somebody had uh, posted a, a sort of a documentary in the making of 10CC's I'm Not In Love. And then this same person had also uh, uncovered an interview, a radio interview on... Uh, uh, with Mark from the Mark and Brian show, who was doing another program with a musician, producer, friend of his. They they dissected Rosanna and played all the isolated tracks from the record and talked about it and commented about how amazing it sounds and how elite the band Toto is, how Steve Lukather's solo at the end of that is just epic. And I just uh, got inspired to, to revisit this interview with Steve. It, it went on for almost a full hour. Usually I was doing 20 to 30 minute interviews at the time. I, I hooked up with Steve and we got on a roll and he, he kept going for almost a full hour and there's really nothing in here uh, worth editing <laughs> because it's all very entertaining there is some stuff that's a little time sensitive with the tour that he was putting together and the band he had and the new album but the uh, the material from the new album at the time which was called all's well that ends well is it, still great so and it's a great story behind it all and then as we revisit a lot of moments from the uh, from the toto days so this is a uh, real good insightful music intensive stuff that's great for the musician and non-musician alike i know there's a lot of toto fans that listen to this show you're going to really enjoy this if you missed it the first time around and if you're new to the show this is a, a moment that you need to uh, be hearing so here's steve lukather from april of 2011 stick around to the whole uh, till the end of the whole thing you may have heard some news about joe williams lead singer of the band so we'll update you on that situation and what toto's doing in uh, in our where are they now segment at the end of the show so one of the proud moments of the Bill Murphy Show, the April 2011 interview with Steve Lukather on this Music Friday Encore presentation. Steve Lukather joins me from California. How are you, buddy? Great, man. What's up? How's L.A. these days? Very warm. I just got back from my three-mile hike in the hills and uh, took a shower. Feeling pretty good, actually. I'm really getting into big, super shape. I'm working hard. Clean living, baby. Well, yeah, man. I stopped being an idiot a while ago. Well, <laughs> for those of you who do not know who Steve Lukather is, there's a number of different ways this interview could go. His illustrious career spans many, many decades. So in a nutshell, here's the deal with Steve. 
uh, guitar player, songwriter, singer for the band Toto, 12 studio albums, four live albums, a movie soundtrack, an unprecedented 11 compilation releases, which we're going to talk about here at some point, a number one and number two single, four top tens, 10 times they cracked the top 40, and that's just the United States because the phenomenon of Toto reaches well beyond the United States and all over the world. And in addition to that, Steve's appeared in uh, hundreds and hundreds of records. you got to be nearing the thousand mark as far as sessions go, right? About 1,500, bro. Wow, brother. It's uns- so those are, you know, those, that's the last count I heard. Right? But you know what? I don't really... Whatever. You know, I played on a lot of stuff. I've got a 35-year career, so kind of <laughs> hard to keep. I mean, other people do this stuff. Some, some Partial stuff is on my disc, discography on my website and stuff. But I've, I've been working for 35 years, so it's a lot, of, a lot of different, diverse kind of stuff. All right, so obviously, if we went through every Toto album, all the hits, and talked about all the songs and all the session stories, we'd be here for four or five hours. So I've tried to figure out the best way to put this into a half an hour. So those of you who need to review on the Toto stuff, just go ahead and go to Wikipedia and catch up. No, because... God, Wikipedia's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. I mean, the worst. Well, who writes this crap? It's inaccurate, huh? There's some stuff about oh, you man, that's... I don't know anybody that goes, man, my Wikipedia is just perfect. You know? <laughs> I have my website, guys, been tr- and the worst part is all the mis- they won't let you change anything. Right. I want to meet Mr. Wikipedia and put my fist through his face. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and they sensationalize little quotes and little, and even some negative stuff. It's really a drag, man. You like, know, I'm God, gonna... why can't I change my own? They got all the credits wrong. I and mean, they got a lot of misinformation. Wow. I mean, I did not go out with Rosanna Arquette. I, Steve Bacaro did, okay? <laughs> I mean, this has been chasing me All these stupid little quotes that I supposedly said, maybe out of context or maybe after 100 beers, I don't know. Well, there is one quote in the Wikipedia page, now that you bring this up and you've debunked Wikipedia completely. Oh, God, I don't know. It's just, it's BS. And, and the worst part is most people, that's what they go to to get your information. All right, so in 2008, when you guys took a timeout because of Mike Picaro's sad situation, and um, you told me a little bit about that before we started, that uh, you're catching up with Mike here shortly. Yes. You, um, it said in there that you were quoted, and I guess this is inaccurate, that you, you were done, it wasn't a break, you guys are through, you can't play hold the line with a straight face anymore. Once again, things okay. taken out of context. You know, yeah, I quit the band. There wasn't really a band left. I was the only guy still standing from the first rehearsal. Okay. All my high school buddies were gone. There were some issues amongst certain members that I just didn't feel comfortable about <laughs> the business situation. Right. It didn't feel like my the band that we started when we were teenagers. You know. Yeah. And I was I was hurting myself really bad by drinking too much and. I was just miserable in my life. So, I mean, I had to walk away and kind of do a complete and total redo, which is what I've done. Uh-huh. Now, me saying hold on, I mean, I love that too. I mean, it's part of this, you know, if it wasn't for that and, and everything that happened after that, I mean, where would I be right now? Right, I'm very right. thankful for that. So, but when you take a little quote like that out of context, it sounds like I'm a miserable, bitter old creep, and I'm really not. Right, right, right. Okay, and on that note, I mean, obviously, it can't be completely true, because you guys are getting ready to do some tour dates. Tour, uh, well, to- I mean, because of Mike, Mikey's ALS, which is a really debilitating, horrible disease, David Page, founding father, called me on the phone and said, Lukey, let's do something, man. We need to do something. I said, well, if we're going to do something again... I gotta have Steve Picaro back, my childhood friend. Right. I gotta have. I want Joseph Williams back because his voice is killer. 
He wanted another go at it. He was also a dear high school friend, which people don't know. I did not know that. Wow. Uh, you know, we grew up with his brother, him and Mark, you know, his son, his father's John Williams, the film composer. I mean, we're all just like Hollywood kids. You know what I mean? Right. Bobby was a wild card, and then that just didn't work anymore. You know, I'm not going to say anything negative about the cat. It just didn't work anymore. And I, and, and so, therefore, the focus came back. Well, geez, who are we going to get to sit in? Lee Sklar was the last cat sitting in on the base when Mike couldn't play anymore. Right. And he was busy with Carol King and James Taylor. So we called Nathan East, who's a dear old friend of 30 years, and he jumped on. And then, of course, Simon Phillips came back, who was Jeff's original, uh, I hesitate to use the word replacement because nobody yeah. replaced Jeff. And you he, did he, say at one point Simon was the only guy that could possibly even replace Jeff. Well, it, see, now, once again, taken out of context. I think he's done a tremendous job and made himself a really integral part of the situation. But there's only one Jeff, you know what I mean? I mean, right. we didn't. Go, we wanted to get somebody who wasn't going to try to play like Jeff. So Simon was a wild card because I had met him when I was working with Jeff Beck and Carlos Santana in 1986, which was a fun little jam gig. Yeah. You know, it was a jam. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then these things follow you around and people critique you on YouTube. And it's really. It's insidious, the Internet. You know, it's great and it's awful all at the same time. Well, that's why we're here, to get the story straight, damn it. Well, I mean, there's so much misinformation. <laughs> I mean, we could do three hours on debunking half the crap that they write. And, well. and maybe maybe things that I may have said a long time ago that I was maybe said, nudge, nudge, ha, 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 but that doesn't get written. And then it follows you around for decades and you can't erase it. You right. Know? So these tour dates for Toto we're coming up. We, 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 the original concept was last year. We just we got this this incarnation of the band together, and we were going to do everything like the record. We were going to try to get too cute with the arrangements because you know towards the end, you know out of whatever boredom or whatever, trying to refresh it, we started you know really messing with the arrangements of the original sound of the songs. And since we had different members, it really sounded different. Yeah, it was incredible musicians in a great band that shouldn't have been called Toto, in my opinion. Okay, but um. When we got back together again, I'm looking around the stage, and I'm seeing my high school mates, and I'm hearing everybody playing these parts and the sounds that are coming out. It was very inspiring, a lot of fun. And, we had, and everybody, nobody drinks or parties or does any crazy crap anymore like we all used to hundreds of years ago, like everybody else in the music business. Right. And, uh, you know, we had a great time. It was like going to summer camp with my high school buddies, playing the songs, and I had a blast. Never had, I don't think I ever enjoyed it more. And it was such a tremendous success. We carried it on to this year a little bit. I'm mostly doing my solo stuff, and everybody else has careers outside of the Toto, quote-unquote. So maybe five or six, year, five or six uh, weeks a month, a uh, year, I mean, sorry. Five or six weeks a year, uh -huh. we get together. Hey, we, we're able to help Mike out financially. And we're able to, you know, and, and, and share the music and then make a little taste for ourselves and have a laugh. Everybody wins, right? Absolutely. We're, we're not going to make another album. We're not going to get back together again. We're not making any broad statements. Music business is kind of weird. We're selling out arenas. It's amazing to me. There's a resurgence in this music. Got to thank my buddy Neil Sean and Band Journey. I mean, they kind of like made this. All of a sudden, there's a big resurgence in this quote unquote AOR music. I don't even know what that means. Right. But you know, and I, they're friends. And I love. I love all those guys. Everybody benefits. You know, and all of a sudden, young people are at my shows. Young people are at Toto shows. The second generation. There's no. It's nothing but good vibe, you know what I mean? Right. And we're, and we're playing better than ever because everybody's really focused and got their lives and bodies and hearts and minds together. So then on that note, from probably somewhere in May all the way through August and September, you'll be touring with Toto or on your own solo tour, and it's mostly in Europe, which brings me 
to the next part of this conversation, which is the phenomenon that Toto is overseas and not in the United States. I know this is a subject you've talked about endlessly, and I hate to bring it up again, but I find it, I find it fascinating. I've always well, thought... Well, I mean, the thing is, uh, first off, I mean, I kind of jump back and forth from my solo stuff to the Toto thing, because the Toto doesn't really work that much, you know, because David really doesn't want to tour much. And Steve is, is C-scoring that show Justified, which is the number one cable show. Oh, wow. Does that stuff. You know what I mean? Everybody's got really intense, and, and Simon has his jazz band, PSP, which are great. And uh, so we all do different stuff. But, you know, like once in a while it's fun. But the whole Europe thing, we jumped onto Europe really early. When we had our initial success, Europe and Asia. Right. Actually, basically... Any place that English is not the first language, we're really successful. That is just fascinating to me. You know, in America, I mean, we got our asses kicked by the media. We were, we became like, a, I don't know, sort of like a. We always make the the worst band ever lists and stuff like that. And I really don't know who we pissed off, but uh, there was a a stigma attached to us, and that just carried through. And we decided, well, we're not making any money here, so screw it. We just won't play here. We could do New York and L.A., and that's it. And then uh, we we never bothered with it. No, let know? me let me. I I hate to cut you off there, but let, let's dissect that just for a moment and let's yeah. see when that happened because I have a theory. You can tell me 1985 how. 1985 is when it happened. Well, I thought it might have been earlier when Africa became so huge because then you guys got this kind of image attached to you that the formats and the radio stations and the record companies, which were in bed with the radio stations, kind of set up and decided that Toto is this kind of sounding band and therefore we can't market them and pass them off as the hard rockin' rock and roll band that they are. Well, that happened when they started releasing ballads after ballad after ballad after ballad. Uh-huh. Because they figured it was a safe bet. They could get that on the radio easier. I mean, originally, Hold the Lion had rock credibility. Right. And then when they started re- releasing songs like 99, then the rock radio went, ah, uh, pussy music, we're not going to play these guys ever again. No, well, I think that's the problem there. And then is- we were raked through the coals by every critic known to man. Yeah. It became really uncool to like us, even though we played on, like, literally, if you counted up all the five, 6,000 records of some of the biggest artists in history, right. every style of music. Not any other band could say that, I don't think. And it sounds like I'm... Oh, dig me. I'm not. I mean, it's just actually fact. You know what I mean? Everybody in the band was really busy working on lots of different stuff. Jeff yeah. did not want to tour after Toto Four's big success, which was a mistake. Yeah. But there were certain members of the band that weren't capable of doing it. So he was concerned about that, and he wanted to stay home. And I mean, the session career thing was huge at that time. I there see. There is no session guy thing anymore, really. Not like it was. You don't get called to do sessions as... Sure, once in a while. I mean, I get specifically, hey, would you, you know, but it's not like the old days where I was doing 25 sessions a week. Right. And you know, you were... that doesn't exist. All the studios are gone. The budgets are all gone. The record companies are all gone. Yeah, for the, <laughs> I mean, really. For I mean, those of you listening who don't realize it, and I'm sure, Steve, you can back me up on this on this point, is that between you, David Page, and the late, great Jeff Beccaro in the early 80s, if you guys weren't on every hit record, every hit every hit record that was being made, the producers were trying to get them to sound like you guys because... Yeah, well, it kind of started in the 70s, and then we kind of, you know... That morphed in through probably all most of the '80s, but uh, you know I don't know what that's all about. I guess uh, we were very fortunate. I'm very blessed and honored to have been worked with so many incredible my child 
artists and childhood heroes and stuff like that. It was really a trip, you know. Dude, you played on <laughs> Olivia Newton-John's Let's Get Physical. You played the solo on that. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> That's funny. That's was... funny that you pulled that one out of the hat of all the records I've heard of. Not but, the... uh, you know, yes, I did do that. But that was like, you know, hey, you know I'd go and play a couple takes and split. You know, that's what I, that's really what I did. You I know, actually I, I did didn't... a lot of that uh, kind of stuff. I know? actually didn't know about Olivia Newton-John. I was looking this up just for my own reference because of the Don Henley Dirty Laundry solo. Yeah. You know, man, that's such cool stuff. The Tube songs, it goes on and on. And well, then I of wrote co- those songs, too. That's amazing. Yeah, and played on them. And b- the Beat It thing with everybody knows that, that Eddie Van Halen did the guitar solo but you did the riff everybody remembers the blank blank was you on your yeah. guitar and yeah, you I play bass on that too and you even play bass on it so you have more of a presence on that one than eddie does and i, just, <laughs> I never thought about it but yeah i guess you're right i don't even know if anybody I mean, everybody else does all this homework i kind of it was so long ago i don't really think about it much right and now that's kind of lets us shift into your into your solo career which has got a, about four or five albums already and i love every one of them personally this latest one is a very very personal one for you i want to play the opening track on this one it's called darkness in my world and i want you to tell me a little bit about it there's a little bit of cynicism in your lyrics on this album is there not well i've had a really really rough couple of years you know and i kind of wrote about my feelings about it you know yeah i didn't say it was a bad thing but <laughs> no i'm just saying i mean you know i'm you know i'm not going Ooh-hoo, what a happy day it is you know? yeah but i mean is there a hesitation there when you get to write a song that you may stop yourself and go was this too personal I think the reason why it's done so well for me and been so critically acclaimed, I guess, is because it was so honest. Right. You know, I mean, people can smell BS a mile away these days, you know what I mean? And if it's real, that's really how I felt. So, And I really wrote all those words myself, you know? It wasn't like I got some writer to come in and make me, doll me up and make me look good. I mean, I was really digging deep into my heart and soul and writing about what was really going on in my, in my life. So yeah, it's very personal and some of it's very sad. Darkness in My World, the opening track from Steve Lukather's latest, All's Well That Ends Well, on Music Friday. Don't forget me when I'm gone Please forgive me if I was wrong Oh, my heart. 
Lukather, Darkness in My World. It's from All's Well that Ends Well. He's with us on Music Friday in a very special edition. Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and sharing this stuff with me. Just amazing, amazing level of musicianship on this, and we've got more to play, too, as well. Talk about the cats on this record with you, because you kind of... The best musicians around kind of flock to you when you do a project. <laughs> well, I mean, I basically use my live band on this one. You know I mean? Uh... Uh, my drummer Eric Valentine uh, and uh, 
Steve Weingart, my keyboard player, but I really kind of wrote most of the record with my with my partner C.J. Vanston, who you know you know from Tina Turner. Oh yeah. Uh, Joe Cocker, Spinal. He did all. He scores all of Christopher Guest films. He worked with me a long, long time ago. My very first solo. Album. We did some Spinal Tap stuff together. Oh yeah. Uh, Break we, like you know, the we wind. played on a lot of stuff together, and he's just been a dear friend, and we never worked together. And all of a sudden, we started writing, and it just became, wow, this is the guy that I need to be writing and co-producing with, and that's how it worked out. Did you work with Randy Goodrum at all on this record, yeah, too? Yeah, I did. We wrote a couple things, man. You know, Rand and I go way, way back. The first big hit we had was I'll Be Over You with uh, Toto. But we've done a lot of stuff through the years. I can't imagine working, not doing a record without a Randy Goodrum thing, you know, because he's just we just connect, you know. That was quite a formula, and uh, I mean, just to take a little sidestep back to Toto for a moment, I was watching recently uh, one of the few great video pieces that it, that are out there with Toto. It was an album that was originally a laser disc in Japan, I think, called Energy, and then CMV uh, something like that. It was a live live concert from '89 ish, I guess, with Jeff. And in what? that, you're not familiar with this? No, about no. A, about eight or nine tracks. It was a laser disc in Japan. It was called. Oh, it was 1990, live in Paris. Exactly. Oh, live in Paris. I'm sorry. I thought it was Japan, but they're right. It was in Paris. Now, on that track, you did an unbelievable version of I'll Be Over You. And oh, you, nice. you tend to sing um, some of your lyrics, especially on your ballads with your eyes closed. And I noticed that at the end of one of the verses, or maybe the end of the first chorus, you looked up. Your eyes open, and all these lighters were lit, and the crowd was full, and it was just an incredible moment. It, it, w- would that be one of those moments where it kind of hits you that this is, <laughs> you kind of realize how big it is? So, you know, I really miss those days of lighters as opposed to having a, a cell phone, cell phone <laughs> shoved in my face and somebody <laughs> waiting for me to make a mistake so they can post it on YouTube and make comments about it. I got to tell you, man, I like to follow some of these ass clowns around in the shower while they're having a wank and put it up on on YouTube and then comment on it. You know, oh, really, oh. I got to tell you, man, it's, it, it's, you know, I don't mind people taking a photo or something, but it's gotten to the point now where they think it's, it's, they think that it's really um, distracting when you're trying to perform. The lighters were always like, oh, man, wow, it looks so beautiful from the stage. It was magical. Right. Now you just see, like, your own reflection coming at you. <laughs> and, and, and red lights and people trying to get your attention. And it's, it's like, what, what is it? why do you come to a show and point that? Why don't you just enjoy the show? It's like some guy carrying around, like, a big camera to Disneyland with his kids. Right. He can't even enjoy the experience of being with his family because he's too busy filming everything and he never watches it. And why 65 shots in the same song? Just take one shot and then listen to the song, for Christ's well, sake. Well, the other thing that kills me is people, like, you know, they're not professional photographers, so the camera's going all over the place and the sound is all distorted and they put it on your Facebook. Right. It's like... <laughs> it's like, and they're going, and like, why would I need to see that? Right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, guys, come to the show, dig the show, man. You want to be Steven Spielberg, go to film school. <laughs> you really got a grasp on what's going on these days. But I mean, you, you, you went through it at the perfect time to see how it was and how it is now. So well, it is you a. You know, it's like everybody's uh, filming you wherever you go. I mean, I remember being in a, in, a, in, a pay, in a toilet, man, taking a leak with Eddie Van Halen. There's a guy filming us, you know? Uh, I mean, that's like, come on, man. Yeah, Jesus, the, you know? Does that ever end? I mean, I got friends of mine that are really famous that just don't even leave their house anymore. It's so crazy. That, that is, it, that, that's just nuts. There are so many, a number of stories that uh, I've heard you tell over the over the years and actually read in interviews and stuff. And, and Yeah, well, just, you see how much is BS. Ask me something and I'll see you, tell you. True or false? Well, here, oh, here we go. I could do that. We could do yeah, a big true really or false could. session. I'd like to debunk some of the crap because, I mean, 
some of this stuff is, makes me sound like a jerk, and I'm really actually a nice guy. Anybody that knows me knows that. <laughs> yeah, well, I used to drink too much. I did everything. I did all that, and I did some really silly, stupid things. I'm trying to make amends. I'm deeply sorry if I offended anybody. Hey, come on. You've come I out on the... my freaking mind. It happens. 35 you, years on the road. You've you know? come out the other end of it in, yeah, I mean, pretty much yeah, unscathed, so... Yeah, I feel great. I'm healthier than I've ever been. Almost, you know, I'm a year and a half without smoking or drinking. I run every day. I'm healthy. I go to a shrink. I practice every day. I care about music. I love my kids. I'm okay. I'm getting better. Wow, the energy. I can feel it right through the phone. All right, here's one. I'll throw one at you. Um, the Behind the Sun album from Eric Clapton. Uh, it's amazing when you listen to Forever Man, one of the great rock and roll songs of our time. That riff, that rhythm part is you, is it not? Oh, really? That's Eric. Eric. I kind of talked my way onto that session because I wanted to work with Eric. I mean, I think mostly what you hear is Eric. I didn't. Really, I just did some little, little kind of teeny little rhythm parts there that you don't really hear that loud in the mix. But uh, no, I, I was. I just. I heard everybody was going to play on this record, and I called up the the contractor and the producers who I know, and I said, "Look, like, don't pay me. I just want to come hang out. I'll play a little rhythm part, whatever it is." Uh, and I was really nervous being around Eric. You know? Wow! And he was so nice to me. And, and all that stuff, and I was just a kid, you know. Um, well, not that much of a kid, but I was, I was in my 20s, you know, and there's Eric Clapton, one of the guys that I lifted up the needle to learn every lick, you know, and I was really kind of starstruck and nervous, you know, so I didn't really play much, you know, but uh, I, did, I did play a little bit of rhythm on a couple of those tracks. He was gracious and kind enough to me. It's so funny because I showed up, I had just gotten out of the shower, and I showed up at the session, and he grabs my fingers, and he goes, you don't have any calluses, man. And I go like, well, I just got out of the shower, and he kind of looked, looked disappointed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he looked at me like, wow, man, are you really a player or what? You know, then we jammed a little bit, and I didn't, and I just kind of didn't really play too much because I don't want Eric Clapton, you know, out of respect. You know, what do you do? You know? Wow. So, but he was very nice to me, and we we I, we did a show. You, I don't know about what in two thousand maybe, oh. uh, where we did in Mexico. We did a stadium gig together, Toto and Eric Clapton, which is an odd bill, you would think, but once again, outside of America, these things happen. We did a we did a gig with uh, um, uh, Lemmy's band, Motorhead. Those guys are friends of mine. Unbelievable. You never imagine that could never happen in the United States. No, no. See, and that's where the... Motorhead and Toto on the same night. You yeah. know what I mean? And we're all sitting backstage having a laugh. Lemmy's a great cat, you know? Yeah, correct me if I'm all wrong. All those guys, Mickey D and all Phil, they're all buddies of mine. You, I mean, I, I dig all kinds of music. You yeah, know? I mean, if, you, if you're in the right arena around the right people, your music mixes with any number of formats. Now, just correct me if I'm wrong. It, it, I get the impression that the United States, uh, the difference, one of the differences between the United States and, and Europe is that on the radio, and again, I haven't heard enough of it to back this up, you probably have. On the radio, you'll hear all kinds of different formats mixed together over in Europe as opposed to yeah. over here where it's so structured. Well, yeah, because over there people have Miles Davis, Slipknot, and Aretha Franklin in their collection. Wow. You know what I mean? Over here, it's like if you don't belong to a specific genre, you're uh, ostracized. Right. I was in a record store in Helsinki, Finland a couple of years ago, and basically everything is separated just alphabetically. There's no real categories. It's just... Yeah, man. You know, it's like, you know, it's the old story. Why did all the jazz musicians leave America when rock and roll took over? Because in, over there, if you play well, you're revered. They, they, they stick with you for life. They follow your career. They turn their kids on to you. In America, it's like, you know, it's like McDonald's. You know what I mean? And it's I just like McDonald's. It's fast food. Give it to me fast, and I'll forget about it and move on to the next flavor of the month. Name me the winner of season three of American Idol. Right. You can't do it, right? No. But for, for five seconds, he was the biggest thing in the world. Exactly. I mean, and there's been some really great talent to come out of there. I mean, I don't really follow that. But Taylor Hicks. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Whatever happened to him. You know? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> right. So, I mean, poor guy. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you get to be a star for five minutes. You know? I, joke it, I jokingly say on this show to some of my guests that I think you, the Europeans have better taste in music than Americans. But, you know, to, in defense of the Americans, I think radio and records did that to us, as opposed yeah. to us just having bad taste. Do you agree? Well, I, you know, I think you can't blame America. I think, you know, people, they eat what they're fed. Exactly. That's my you know, point. And, and you can you can argue one way or another. I, w- I I'm listen. I have I have an audience somewhere rather than no audience at all. Right. So I'm humbled and honored for that. Thank you very much. Exactly. I could be, I could be you know at the you know in the mail room somewhere going. I used to play guitar for a living. You know. Right. So, I mean, it, I'm just lucky to have a gig. You know? It just takes a little bit longer traveling to get to your audience. Oh, that's you know, all. I actually kind of I made I go far. <laughs> Anyway, four to six times a year. Right. So, I mean, that, that I've gotten so used to it that it, I don't get jet lag, and I actually enjoy the solitude. I yeah. read books, I catch up on a movie, I sleep. You know, having four children of two different generations, um, you know, even, uh, even though I'm divorced, I'm still busy. When I'm home, I'm jumping all over. So having a little quiet is not so bad. And you got your kids, and you got. And, and do you spend do you spend any time in the desert anymore? I heard you make a comment on the stage at BB uh, King's about how that remake that uh, Roger Sanchez did of uh, um, which 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 one was it? Oh, I won't hold you back. Right, and how how that paid for your house out in the desert? Do you spend any time out there well, anymore? I'm selling that house now because I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I like to. I'm, I'm laughing at that because I'll start crying if I start thinking. About that, it. Of course, that's how you have to no, do it. No, you know what it is, man. You know, it was a great. It was a great hang for a while. I had it for about eight years, and uh, that was good. But like all things in life, uh, nothing stays the same. So you move forward, and I'm okay with it. I'm really good friends with my ex, and we have great kids together. And you know, it's really hard to be married to a guy like me who's never home. Right. It's not. Nobody cheated. Nobody hit anybody. Nobody went crazy. It just fell apart. You know, rather than force something, you move on. You I see, think the world over and respect her more than I ever have, and we see each other, and we're very friendly, and it's for our kids are relatively unscathed, you know. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very civil there, Steve. That's awesome. You and you, trying to be adults about it, you know what I mean? I'm too old to be fighting in courts and laws. I said, "What are you? Well, let's just do this for fair, and everybody wins, and let's carry on with our lives." Right. Now, I'm, I'm amazed at your age, which, um, you know, I'm right up there with you, brother. I know how you're feeling these days. 195 in October. <laughs> That's what it says in Wikipedia. Yeah. No, uh, but, I, you know, in, these, in this day and age, for you to keep up with everything, the way everything's going, you're a Facebook maniac. People- yeah, I've gotten into that. My son got me way into it. I've really seen an amazing, the results of, of just connecting with your audience and being your own PR person, pretty much. Right. It's like, you know, it's helped my business, my record sales, my, my live thing. Just my, I'm able to debunk many of these myths that come along my way because people ask me questions every day. Right, right, right. And I enjoy it. You know, I get up in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, I go to bed early. I get up really clean living. Got a lot of energy. I practice my guitar, and then I do some Facebook. It's fun for me. Hey, man, you t- you don't have to tell me because that's how this show is all based. I mean, I started it by doing that. I'm self-promoting myself on Facebook. It's an entirely new world that we're in. So It is, and you've got to be on it, man. You know, I mean, if you're not, then you're not cool. i got Twitter and all this stuff. At first, I was like, oh, God, really? Right. But now I, I, I embraced it. I've gotten into it, and I've made friends with it. And I only really had to get rid of one person out of, like, what do I got now? I just started it, like, about a year ago, and I'm like, my fan page is like oh, 52,000-something and my Twitter's almost 15,000. And, and then everybody else's, it's so viral. Like, they're 5,000 to yours. All of a sudden, you're, you're actually talking to a million people every day if, if people actually care to 
to look at everything that they get, you know? Yeah, it really is phenomenal when you think about it, and that just kind of shifts us right into the next song that I want to play, because you kind of touch on this subject, on this great tune here, which not only is a great theme and great lyrics and modern, and it's cool and hip for today's world, but man, the guitar playing and the riff in this one, Brody's on the new album. Uh, Talk about Brody's a little bit, man. Well, I wrote that with Randy Goodner, actually, you know, that was just kind of my... You know, more of a bluesier band of gypsies, Stevie Rayish. I hate to use these comparisons. Oh, you have to, I, though. I, I, I'm certainly not in that league, but uh, it was just something, and, 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 and both Randy and I share the same cynicism for the media and, how, and the people that run it and the things that they say, and the people blogging, these bloggers that go on and on about stuff that they haven't done any fact-checking. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? There's so much BS out there, and you know that. Come on, man. Yeah, we man. all get fed it. And uh, so I'm just kind of, we just kind of cartooned on this mystical place in, outside of Nashville called Brody's. It's a bar, and a guy sitting in there with his computer Wi-Fi, staring at everybody, getting drunk, and, and just sending his opinions out to the world that are just based on BS. Unbelievable. I mean, I've been waiting for people to, to, to kind of portray modern culture in music. It's slowly happening, but this is a perfect example of it here. So Yeah, I mean, we may kind of made fun of some local, you know, the, the headlines, which may or may not stand the test of time. It's kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but, you know, you're right about what's going on, you know? I mean, you know, gosh, you know, the 60s were all about that. What the hell? I mean, you know? Exactly. Right, fi- whatever happened to that peace and love? That's what, that was the concept of the thing. It's like, what, where did everybody go wrong? Right. I'm convinced it was cocaine and money. Exactly. That changed everybody. <laughs> You're so right, man. No, that, and there you go. There we could do an entire show just on that subject right there. I understand exactly I what mean, you mean. I mean, everybody went down the path and it got dark. Right, really dark, and then and then what happens? You and, know, and this was also the first song that I, first official song that I know of that mentions uh, Tiger Woods in there with his whole. Yeah, I guess, well, you know that was that was a throwaway. <laughs> I because I, I, that was right when we wrote that song that had just happened, and and we were looking for a rhyme. We were talking about what would rhyme with that, and I just threw that out as a joke. And Randy <laughs> just started laughing because we got to use that. <laughs> well, if you're you not know, distracted by the amazing guitar playing in this one, check out the lyrics as, as we play you Brody's. Yeah. This is from All's Well That Ends Well. Steve Lukather on Music Friday.
his head and nip and tuck Got a tattoo on the rest that says you wanna I say yeah Trying to find a world that we can't win Trying to pass the flame with a glam spin. There is Brody's from All's Well That Ends Well, Steve Lukather, right. on, the, on the telephone with us from California. Man, what a great song. Thank you for thanks. that song, brother. <laughs> thanks a lot for playing it. <laughs> now, talk about, you know, it's a fun song. It's bluesy. It's got that Stevie Ray Vaughan-esque kind of riff in there. But I mean, well, I kind of come from that Hendrix school, man. You know, we're kind of, we all about the same age, so you can't help but uh, be influenced by the things that you're listening to. And 
Yeah, I wanted to play a little bit more blues because Toto was always like, oh, you guys are like pop band. I just want to kind of play a little bit more and just kind of get a little bit more to the heart of the matter. you know? Right, cool. But also there's that trademark shift in the C section there, if you want to call it that, where you just get into some, I mean, here comes some serious Donald Fagan, Steely Dan chord changes that just kind oh, yeah, of... yeah, man, my, one of my favorite bands of all time. And you just throw those in there. I mean, we're talking about some serious, um, is that stuff charted when you record it? No, man. I mean, they're just going to write some adult chords, you know, try to sneak that into a, a more popular music vein, you know what I mean? <laughs> Without trying to be jazz fusion-y, you know? Adult chords, very well, well put. you know, most of these stuff that people play and write these days don't have any harmony in it. It's just fifths or really simplistic triads, you know? God, I mean, you... fine, I th- but, you know... I mean, that's like saying that there's only one kind of cake, and it's chocolate, and, you're st- and you have to eat it at every meal. It's like... Wait a minute, man. There's all different kinds of, you know, 31 flavors, like the ice cream. Now there's 131 flavors if you really want to look, but I like, I'm, I'm just bored with the same chord changes in every freaking pop song you hear on the radio, you know? Well, you're lucky if you even have any chords in some of the new music that's out there, and I know, I know we both run the risk of sounding like old geezers going, ah, oh, these kids today. Yeah, I'm an old geezer, and I've earned the right to be one. And when know? we have I'll this. I'll be 54 in October, and screw it, you know? I still remember, like, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. Who's, right, who's making those records anymore? No, no, nobody is. And, 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 oh, I'm sorry if that if that's, it makes me an old fart for going like, hey, man, what happened, guys? Well, Dumb I think, it down for everybody? Well, I think the most important part is, I mean, at what point do we stop calling it music when some of these tracks are really just, and well, again... I just, I, there's a couple of lyrics that should be outlawed. Okay. B- Baby's one. All right. And yeah is the other one. <laughs> You know, my grandmother, who was a great musician too, rest her soul, told me many, many years ago, everything's baby, baby, baby. If you write songs, just keep the word baby out of it. So I think you're right on with that there. But that never stopped. That never stopped happening. And and, and by the way, I know I am aware of that I have used these lyrics. Yes. But not the yeah, but, you know, I kind (laughs) of do it as a joke. But, but, you know, I mean, but hey, you know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know these young nutty kids today in their music. I'll well, tell you. That's you what know? I'm saying. We 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 run the risk of sounding like that. You know, because I heard a a little Wayne track the other day. That somebody sent me on YouTube. It had like 39 million views on it. There wasn't anything musical in the whole thing. It was just syllabic, you know, gymnastics going on. It was just how many words well, can I you mean, fit? You know, there is something to be said for the you know the poetry of it. The, I mean, the lyrics are very clever if you listen, but some of the musicality of it is pretty pedestrian, you know what I mean? Good word. Very I mean, good it's word. really like, you know, you don't really need... I mean, there's, there, they call it beats. I mean, what the hell does that mean? I know. I remember being in the room, seeing the very first drum machine. There was Roger Lynn and Jeff Vaccaro and I were sitting there with Steve Vaccaro. And when he pushed, pressed the on button, the alligator cables coming out, the soldering iron out, and we heard that first drum go, boom, spank, boom, boom, spank, and it was a real kick, snare, and hi-hat. Jeff Vaccaro turned, looked at me, looked at Rob, and he goes, I have to destroy this machine right now. Wow. It's going to ruin, it's gonna ruin everything. Wow. And he and, knew. And, and we laughed, ha, 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 but turned around that, like, for the music of the 80s, you couldn't put on a record without a Lindrum on it. No, and no, no. now it's all computerized at beat, and you can put it on the grid. You don't have to sing in tune. You don't have to play in time. Right. It's all... Very methodically put together. And right. even if you do have, you know, a, an organic real drummer on a track, you almost always have one of those machines doing the intro for you anyway. So it's almost in every kind of music, even you know, with the real rock bands. You know, a 
what can I say, man? It is what it is. I mean, this is it's 2011. It's not 1968. You know. And with all that said, what are you digging? I'm assuming just knowing you and your personality that you have to agree with me. The Foo Fighters are one of the best bands oh, of the last Foo couple Fighters. of decades. Well, what a great band! Right. Now, see, there's a band. They're sneaking some adult. They're sneaking some harmony in there. Some interesting chord changes. Yep. Dissonance. I, I think. I think you know Taylor's a buddy of mine. I haven't seen him for a while, but you know I, I think Grohl is amazing. What a great band, what energy, what great, clever stuff. World-class rock and roll right there, guys. Longevity, too, man. These guys are going on two full decades that they've been rocking. So it's... God bless them, man. Who else, who else have you been digging? I know Trevor probably turned you on to some cool things. Your son, Trevor Lukather, has got yeah. a, a, a band still going, right? No, well, he's just got a new band. He's in a band with Jack Blade's kid and Elvis Presley's grandson. Wow. And, and, um, <laughs> Connections. They just started. Uh, it, it's mad. I heard, I heard the first rehearsal. It's killer. And there's a couple other people involved, I'm not going to say. Because you know there may not or may not work out. Okay. There's a big buzz on this all of a sudden this week. You know. So what it's you... really hard to be a kid trying to make it in the music business now because you have to have some kind of a hook. Right. They want to put you on TV. They want to do this whole this whole thing. You know. Trevor works with me on my sessions. He's coming out with me on the road this year, this summer. You know, he's like my best friend. So we hang all the time, even though he doesn't live at home anymore. I see him almost every day. That's awesome. You know, you know, it's funny, and I got the little ones. You know, Lily's three and a half, and my son Bodie's like he's almost five months old. Wow! And, and they and they come over, you know, every day. You know, I see them, and, and it's very simple. When I'm home, I'm really daddy. You know what I mean? Right. But, when I'm, but I'm on the road like nine months a year. Now I kind of so, threw. I kind of what I got to do to make a living. Absolutely, I kind of threw Foo Fighters out there at you. But if you got anything off the top of your head that you dig these days, that um, I Phoenix. Okay. Great band. Arcade Fire makes some interesting music. I oh, love yeah. Radiohead, but they're not that new. Right. Jeez, um, you know, it's hard for me to keep up with everything, man. I mean, I, honestly, I play music for a living, so oftentimes I'd rather come home and watch The Family Guy than listen to music. You know? Wow. Um, all right, so I'm going to throw one more gem on here before we wrap things up. I want to tell you a quick story, and I don't mean, yeah. to, mean to take over, the, the, but I think you'll dig this. In, in the mid-'90s, I was hanging out with the guys from Brother Kane. I don't know if you remember that band, but Damon Johnson was a guitar player. He's been Alice Cooper's guitar player for yeah, a long time. Uh -huh. Smoking guitar player. Anyway, so we're sitting in this Mexican restaurant in Miami one day, and your name came up when we were talking about guitar players. I go, are you, are you a big fan of Steve Lukather? He dropped his fork and his enchilada or whatever the hell he was eating, and turned his chair towards me and said, man, that guy, Luke, he played a song on Toto's album called The Seventh One, and we both said it at the same time. We both, like, exclaimed these chains at the same time. This guy, oh, wow. you talk about really? you talk about playing a record over and over again and trying to learn a solo. He told me it was one of the most magical guitar things he'd ever heard. Really? And, and dug it like you can't believe. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm incredibly flattered. I don't really know what to say to that. I mean, really. You're being humble, Steve, because... No, I'm being real, man. I mean, you don't believe me, you know? We're talking about a track that in 1988 was just... It had everything in it. It had the melody. It had the jazz sound to it. It had that unbelievable shuffle beat from uh, Jeff going there and no, then Jeff was magical man and the only thing about that tune is that I wish that vamp solo at the end went on for another two minutes because it sounded like there was some magic that you just faded out on that one can you tell me a little bit about these well, chains I think it probably just fell apart you know because as you I overdubbed the solo so the track probably fell apart by them <laughs> right. we had to fade it you know? <laughs> but where's the inspiration for that song there's it's a very very yeah, Randy Randy Goodman and I wrote that one. Oh, there you go so um, that was just, you know, um, I write a lot of those kind of songs on piano, and then Randy and I would get together, and he's, he was the word man on that one. 
And, uh, you know, it just made sense, you know. And we'd make these little demos, and the guys in the band would, would go, that's great. So Jeff would just play drums to the demo, and we'd remake the record to the demo. Wow. And then we'd add our own touches, and everybody put their own inflections and arrangement ideas. But, um, you know, that just happened to work for some reason. And what a smooth, silky song. And then the, and then at the end of that, the, the, the guitar licks that just go on, they just get better and better and better with every bar that goes by. It's just, it was a magical moment for me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap the show up with that one there. But, uh, oh, cool. That's obscure. I like that. Okay. Yeah. I hate, I hate, I hate to, uh, to, to break this up, man. I, I mean, I, I wanted to pay more tribute to Jeff Picaro with you because, oh, I mean, he's... Do it again sometime, man. He's left an indelible mark on... And one of my other favorite stories with Jeff was when I think it was he told me about playing on the wall because when I met you guys in 84 in Miami, you guys played the same night as Prince did at the James L. Knight Center. I remember that. And uh, Prince was playing at the Orange Bowl that night. I talked to Jeff about recording with David Gilmore and he said, hey, did you know I played on the wall? And he was all excited about telling me about how many musicians actually played on that album. And talk I got a call to play on that, uh, but they wanted me to do some legitimate classical music. And I said, you know, you should call Rittenauer, because he studied with Christopher Parkman. Oh, wow. So, I mean, Dave Gilmore doesn't need anybody to play lead guitar. Right. He's one of my favorite guitar players in the world, and a, a world-class nice guy. So, but they were looking for somebody who could play Baroque classical guitar. I said, I'm really not that cat, man. You should call Ritt. And they did, and, and he played on it. Oh, okay. So I guess that would be that uh, Goodbye, Cruel World, or whatever that, that classical guitar that's on there would have been him. <laughs> yeah, that's Rittenauer. Wow, that's... Um, Again, um, yeah, Jeff did play on, on one or two things, I think, but I, I think it was kind of a weird vibe. I don't remember. I remember I was working with Elton John at the time in, in France, and they had just finished cutting the basic tracks for most of the wall. And, uh, and then Jeff kind of, I guess, did a track or two in L.A., because I remember being with Jeff. We were doing McCartney in London, and Dave Gilmore came over to see Jeff and ended up spending the whole evening with me. Right. Oh, wow, cool. <laughs> and so and that was a lot of fun. Well, I remember Jeff told telling me in that conversation that they hired him to play Mother because Nick Mason couldn't do this the change from six eight to four four as smoothly as Jeff could. So I don't know, well, Jeff probably did that one take. There was very little that Jeff couldn't do in one take. You know? uh, rest his soul, man. Steve Lukather, thanks so much for taking the time to be on my show, brother. Give my best to Mike Picaro and. Uh, you know, like you said it, so I'm going to take you up on it. We'll do it again sometime. That'd be great. Thank you very much, brother. You got it, man. These chains. Have a good day. You Bye in Radio Land. Hello, everybody. Bye. Um, podcast Land. Podcast. All right. <laughs> you move can... on, babe.
There's the solo we were talking about. Well worth waiting for. As he just fills the end of that song with magic moment after magic moment. These Chains from Toto wrapping up that uh, interview. One of the proudest moments this show has ever seen from April 2011. Thanks again to Steve Lukather for taking the time to join us for that. And uh, to update you on what's going on with Toto, there was some news going around that Joe Williams, lead singer, who of course was a lead singer on that uh, seventh one album there, as well as um, Fahrenheit, he's been touring with them in the last couple of tours, was hospitalized briefly from some dehydration. He's fine. They were resuming their shows this weekend. India, California tonight. Pala, California and Paso Robles on uh, Sunday. That wraps up that leg of the tour that Toto is on right now, and Joe is uh, doing fine. 
from from what we have heard. So there's no need to worry about that, my California friends. You need to check out those shows if you're in that area and you have the opportunity. It's some of the greatest live music you will ever see. Thanks again for tuning into this uh, Music Friday Encore Edition with uh, Steve Lukather, our interview from April of 2011. And uh, we'll have more new shows coming soon, as soon as time allows. People from all walks of life, if you have a suggestion for a guest or if you want to be one, contact me at murph at billmurphyshow.com and we'll get you on. Thank you for liking and sharing and please continue to do so. Subscribe to the Bill Murphy Show podcast for free at iTunes. You can post comments about today's show, listen to archived episodes, and like the show on Facebook by visiting billmurphyshow.com. A presentation... The Bill Murphy Productions.